Welcome to the latest episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams and my co-host is Joe Redfern. Hello and welcome along. And this week we invited back Emily Horgan, a media and entertainment analyst, to talk about the power of kids' animated movies, uh, their power to streamers, their power to cinemas, and how often they can still pull the numbers long after uh, TV shows have tailed off. Yeah, it was a really fun discussion. Let's go to it now. So, hello, uh, Emily. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Um, could you give us a quick introduction to um, what you do? Hi, yeah. Hi, Andy. Hi, Joe. Uh, my name's Emily Horgan. I am an independent media consultant with a speciality in kids and streaming. Fantastic. Um, one of the things that we were going to focus on today as a topic is animated movies, and particularly in kind of what how uh, animated movies are kind of working post the pandemic um, and kind of what sort of trends there are around that you've kind of picked up on. Um, do you have any thoughts on that to kind of get us started? <laughs> yeah, funny enough, Andy, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's such an interesting moment in the history of the entertainment industry right now, I would say. Um, obviously, we're off the back of a pandemic charge launch to streaming wars. The streaming wars kind of kicked off late 2019 when Disney Plus launched its answer to Netflix, that, that over-the-top SVOD um, service. Uh, and everything, you know, all plans were then promptly uh, derailed or uh, re-railed by the pandemic hitting soon after in that March. Um, that constricted the flow of uh, content to cinemas. So all these big theatrical movies suddenly didn't have anywhere to go. People were needing to be creative about how they were distributing them. Um, you know, I think, I think for all of us in the pandemic, there was that bite lip moment and it's going to go away, right? And then it's like, no, it's not going to go away. We actually need to plan for this to be a reality for a little while. I think everybody can identify with that on multiple levels. Um, but it, it's essentially led to two years of like a very, very pure um, landscape for the performance of movies and all content on streaming because this, like cinema has been, obviously it's kind of, you know, it's kind of come back and gone and come back and gone. Only now we're kind of resetting in the new normal of post-pandemic kind of, um, of a post-pandemic landscape. Cinemas are, are open at scale and we're starting to see movies and movie performance recover to what it would have been pre-pandemic. So I've had this two year period, two, two and a half year period of like this really pure streaming landscape where we've been able to look at some of the performance of movies, things like Pixar films going straight to Disney Plus um, and, and, and various creative approaches with PVOD windows. Like there's, there's loads of different ways people have tried to do things in the last two years. But now we're kind of resetting to the new normal. The big question tends to be, is straight to streaming enough? And that's not just a kids, that's not just a kids media question, that's a, that's a broader question for the entertainment industry at large. But as happens quite a lot, kids, the, kids, the kids section is at the forefront of that question. We're, we, we actually were at the forefront, the, the, the family, movie, family movies were at the forefront of this at the start of the pandemic. Trolls World Tour is arguably the first film that really tried something very creative and, and that upset a lot of people at the time. It was like outrage and all the rest. Um, obviously, then the two years that followed, people had to renormalize to what they had, to what Trolls World Tour had tread ground on, um, and now at the forefront uh, of the kind of resettle, we have um, Sing Two that came from Illumination, that hit in 
uh, Thanksgiving kind of Christmas window of last year. So not quite recovered, but like it, it definitely um, represented a stepping stone on the journey to the to cinema's recovery. Um, you've got Netflix going with uh, the Sea Beast straight to streaming, as always, as is their 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 strategy and what they cling to. Um, and then also in the mix, you have Lightyear with Disney Plus. Lightyear's the next Pixar film. Disney Plus took a very strict attitude with those Pixar films through the pandemic. They all went straight to streaming. Lightyear probably had a bit of a disappointing uh, cinema release. Uh, definitely not very well received. Um, and now that will go go to Disney Plus now. And, oh gosh, it's in a few weeks. It could be in a few days. I need to check the date. But um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a party, Andy. It's a party that I'm very excited about. And if you're into some of the niches of the entertainment industry, this is this is highly fascinating. But also, I think, like I said, kids and family content at the forefront of kind of the renormalization of the industry and indicative to what could be expected in, in other genres. Obviously not a dead cert, but certainly indicators and worth looking at. And and can I ask, Emily, you know, you, you just said then the renormalization of the industry. It, it strikes me that actually all of the pieces were thrown up in the air during the pandemic. And we've yet to figure out whether they've come back down in the same places or they've been reoriented and they're going to slot together in a slightly different way to, to how they were previously. Have you noticed any trends emerging from that in terms of what used to be the rather established route of, kind of cinema first, then there was a window, then you might have moved to SVOD or then PVOD slotted in in the middle? Is there anything that you've seen as a general trend or are they still all trying something different to see who emerges as having found the optimum way to do it? I Honestly, Joe, I think it's too early to, d to decide that at this stage. I'd, I'd give it a year or two um, before that, like we were able to kind of definitively identify trends and, and see the impact of, so of the things that were thrown up in the air and they were thrown very high. Um, one of them was the the cinema the cinema cinema to, to onward distribution uh, window um obviously that's been a sensitive topic in the entertainment industry for many many years yeah. uh, and all those strides have been made to shorten that window content makers content ip owners distributors like the walt disney company have been striving to shorten that window for ages there was a big to do about alice in wonderland many many years ago um, if many, many, it's like a, 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 probably about a decade ago, just you know, not that far, I suppose. But um, that you know, that was a big moment where pressure was put, and um, you know, distance was gained in the kind of trying to make that window shorter. Um, obviously, the pandemic has demonstrated tons of different things, and now that um, cinema window is a lot shorter. Uh, and, and cinemas have just had to kind of accept that after, you know, in the post-pandemic kind of world. Amazing that also co coincides with the street, the emergence of, you know, the streaming world as a, as a, as a full kind of landscape. So, um, yeah, I think it's a little bit too early to tell, but I think tracking the, like what that impact is going to be over the next few years is going to be really interesting. And, you know, whether people feel, I think, I think the, predom <clears throat> the predominant assumption is that you know, that shorter window isn't really going to hurt films at cinema. But you might see a bit of creativity there as well, where you've got like a mega hit, that you, you know, something like maybe a Minions or something where you're like, actually, no, let's not do the 45 day, you know, window. Let's actually give it a bit more, mm. a bit more gas, particularly when maybe it's a summer blockbuster and you know you're going to have that captive period of people going to the cinema. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think there's, I think there's still lots of creativity to be seen and, and a bit more time before we're going to be seeing any trends. 
That's interesting. I mean, just looking at it personally, I I kind of realized that in the middle of the pandemic when you had trolls come out, and then I was I was totally persuaded that actually theatrical windows are over. We're going to have digital releases. That's yesterday. Mm. Uh, and as and as it's progressed, and I think I was I don't think I was an outlier there. I think that was kind of became conventional wisdom, really, mm-hmm. um, in in a big way. But as things have kind of moved on, and you've um, seen or has opened up, you had a kind of couple of false starts where people thought yeah. maybe this is going to make a real difference. But there there are a couple of things that made me sort of reevaluate actually the value of theatrical windows as kind of marketing devices as well it's quite hard for something that is just on streaming it seems to me to replicate that sense of occasion and and kind of anticipation that you get with the cinema release Uh, and I always felt that even though I don't think Encanto you'll be able to kind of correct me on this I don't think Encanto did enormous numbers at the cinema Um, yeah but I, but I think it did, and I think the contrast there between the Pixar films that weren't going on the big screen, um, it made Encanto feel, I mean, there are a lot of other reasons that maybe Encanto was an enormous success, but it just made Encanto feel special in a way that the Pixar movies started to feel like made-for-TV movies. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, it's like I, I would completely subscribe to the view that a cinema release is a marketing tool least of all because there's loads of marketing spent on it in of itself you know um and it's like you know that revenue generation point is still very real you know like the money it's this is not just you know this is you know this this is a real revenue generator even if it's not at massive scale or for many many weeks that this it's still a real a real value point for any studio um and justifies because of that justifies spending the marketing money and and rolling out the big activations like again sorry to talk about minions like the funny thing i noticed is that they obviously had a load of activations that were locked before they ended up moving the movie i was in mcdonald's last summer and uh, <laughs> on my way back from holidays with my little boy and we got minions cards then because obviously that was locked you know but you wouldn't get that you know it's not so often that you get that kind of large-scale global commitment from a brand like mcdonald's on something that's you know that's not a cinema release um, so I totally subscribe to that, the idea that a cinema release makes it feel bigger, makes it feel more exciting, generates more awareness. Um, and we are, well, it's, as I said, too early to say for trends, but like kind of we're kind of round one into the tournament of like who will win. And, you know, we're seeing the, the streaming numbers for Sing 2 are excellent in the US. Um, and there's no, you know, like... It, there's no real cannibalization there. And we, you know, we know kids obviously watch and watch and watch and watch. Sing 2 is a good example of like a movie that you will because it's got the music in it. Um, so yeah, no, I completely agree. And Encanto is an interesting one. Encanto was out again at that, it's just at that end of the year. It was the same, the same cinema release kind of time as Sing 2. Although Disney did more of a day and date kind of, or it was quite a short window. And, um, but I believe they went back because of the success of Encanto on screaming. Uh, on stream, screaming, on streaming, um, they've gone back and opened up some cinema windows where they weren't necessarily planning to, because, you know, it's just such a phenomenon. Interesting. And I, I wonder if kids, um, kids' content is leading the charge here just because of the nature of taking kids to the cinema as well. You know, it's it's a, a, a 
a, a more similar experience for adults who can sit at home and watch a movie and not move and get distracted. But actually, you take kids to the cinema, they're kind of locked in. You know, they might still get a part of their seat. But actually, if you pay $20, $30 for a, a, a movie at home and halfway through, they decide to go and play with a toy in the corner or go up to their bedrooms, it's kind of, you know, I think just thinking from a parental point of view, I always liked taking my kids to the cinema to watch a movie because actually we were all there together yeah. and they were they were stuck there and you watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think, we, you know, the, there is an element of that actually that gives the kids' movie an, an added dynamic in terms of it, cinemas and, it, it, you know, the importance to families. Yeah, and like, like exactly, and the other thing, specifically in the kids' movies, because you've got these franchise extensions, you are a bit more stuck in the plans that you're making because, you know, there's toys, like, being moulded in China that are coming or, the, you know, that are that are coming to support that film and, and you can't stop that. And the idea of, like, you just you just can't stop that machine once it's going. So, or, you, well, it, you maybe be able to, can't, you, you maybe can, obviously, with the pandemic, we did see some things move really far, but it's really painful. You know, you're yeah. very, very committed to that moment because you've got tons of other stuff happening at the same time, unlike adult, adult films. Yeah, I can see that. I, I was wondering whether we could kind of explore that kind of tension <clears throat> between the streaming only and the theatrical. So in the kind of, in one corner, we let's say we've got Sea Beast. Yeah. Um, and in the other corner, we've got Sing. And I guess the argument against theatrical would be well, the kind of theatrical kind of cannibalizes your overall pot of money that you've made, uh, and you may as well make that all on streaming because you don't have any of the overheads for the cinemas. I mm -hmm. think that is fair. How do the numbers stack up on that argument? Who wins, CB store, Sing Two? Um, it's like it's, it is. It's an interesting, it's an interesting time to look at this, you know. And it's funny because like Netflix have had these ori original movies have been part of their strategy for a number of years. Twenty eighteen, you know, they started announcing some big stuff coming through, and um, they've had Over the Moon, which was you know by by the Disney creator Glenn Keane, character supervisor on The Little Mermaid, and. Um, in the pandemic, they took a load of Sony movies that were, I think, mainly due to go to cinema and release them straight to straight to streaming. Obviously, you know that was just the decision Sony made. It's like, grand, we'll just take your money now. You know, it, our, we, our pipeline can't take you know moving these. Um, and at the same time, so Disney was releasing Pixar films, and what we could see in the US Nielsen numbers, which is where it's the main place where we have comparative um, data across the streamers, was that like. Disney Pixar movies were delivering out of this world. And the Netflix movies were, you know, much lower. Um, and you kind of say, okay, right, well, Disney Plus less penetrated than Netflix, around half, and particularly over the period of the last two years, that's, they're only getting now to 60% of what Netflix are, I think. I didn't see the earnings yeah. the other day, so I need to just check in on that for the US. But, um, okay, well, Netflix are maybe, are they underperforming? But having said that, it's Disney, right? So you kind of have to go, you know, like, it's Disney, right? So just, they, they're doing well, nobody's nobody's surprised, fine. I'm sure Netflix is, you know, you're doing your thing. The interesting thing I thought I thought about that was then um, Amazon Prime came into the mix and they took Hotel Transylvania 4. And that the, the premiere week of that, at least, came in a good head and shoulders above anything Netflix had done. Which was like, oh, maybe Netflix, maybe the maybe the benchmark for Netflix has been like, oh well, we'll give you a pass that you're not Disney because you're not Disney and that's fine. But now suddenly somebody else is coming in and you're like, oh, the, these original movies are I'm not like 
you know that and the trans, trans, hotel hotel t4 um, was straight streaming um activation um as far as i can remember and um so it was a bit like mm, is it is, is the benchmark actually maybe the benchmark's a bit higher than what you guys are doing netflix and now sing four or sorry sing two has come in um in its pay one window following its theatrical release following its theatrical release and it is significantly higher than any netflix original in its first week we don't have the first week is only was only in this or last week so we're, we're going to wait and see what else it delivers but it's the trend what the, the consumption trend we generally see is week one it's lower because it's opening weekend only these films tend to premiere on a friday week two is higher because it's the first week of full consumption and then lower again it's it'll be it will totally upset the avant-garde if Sing Two doesn't continue to deliver at least on the level that it's at, if not higher. Um, so it's kind of looking at this straight to streaming um, model and saying, well, the consumption demand isn't really there, isn't is or isn't there the same way as a theatrical movie is. And like you say, Andy, there's loads of infrastructure and costs and stuff that goes as a theatrical movie, and you can't just like you know you can't just release a movie theatrically. You need a whole team that knows what they're doing. It's a speciality. It's people know distribution they know marketing it's all it's all specialized you can't just say hey streaming marketing team go do this because it's just it's just it's different experience um so that all needs all the costs of that and everything needs to be baked into the whole equation too interesting i just one one follow-up on that quickly is should netflix be releasing their movies to cinema then uh i think so i think they're anime i think they're animated movies i think they have a real opportunity there like um, not every movie um, is right for it, but I think animated, like big animated family movies, like one a year, maybe two a year, considering going to cinema with that, I think is a good idea. I mean, would um, Beast have done better, for instance, do you think, if it had a cinema release? I mean, speculatively, I, I think I think it would have. I think it would help. What, what do you think? What do you guys think? I well, think- it's interesting. I, I, I was going to say something similar to to Andy in terms of. But come at it from a a human psychology point of view, in terms of, yes, we spoke about that um, event feel of going to the cinema, you know, as as a family, you all go together, you go in the car, you buy some popcorn, you go, you know, it's an event. But similarly, that marketing element, it almost, it's it's almost the case that actually the cinema is is, is the real kind of bright launch but actually, that ha- that means that there's a longer tail to, to sustaining it, and it almost feels like you know, Netflix to us all became this this kind of huge, you know, window into choice for content that led to choice paralysis in a lot of ways, and also almost the the disposability of content. So actually, to try and make something that kind of bright North Star event release on Netflix is almost contrary to what we've all grown to know and, you know, initially loved about Netflix is that, you know, there's so much stuff there. You could watch the first five minutes of something and if you're not feeling it, you just go on to the next thing, Mm. the the, the churn. So, you know, I I do wonder if, again, there's a a human psychology, human behaviour point to it in that actually something that starts in the cinema sustains longer just because actually it feels more important and less throwaway yeah. than something that debuts on streaming and particularly on Netflix like you're saying you know maybe that that's why Netflix debuts haven't risen quite as high as some of the platforms that we wouldn't have expected launches to do well on but actually 
they mm. materially have less stuff to start with. So it feels a little bit more special by nature on that yeah. platform. Come here, Joe. Here's a hypothetical for you because you've got the, the great background in franchise. So if it's like it's if, but if, but if, if Netflix released a sea beast on theatrically or an equivalent size, you know, animated family movie, but they didn't have the franchise engine engaged in terms of consumer products, you know, those kind of promotional partnerships, would that work? You know, because, what do you, well, sorry, I'm not, because I'm going to say nothing. What do you think? No, no, you're right. Because I do think that, you know, Disney, Disney has the flywheel. So yeah. they have the ecosystem in place that Netflix doesn't for, for franchise brands. But then cinema is one spoke in a flywheel. So it feels yeah. like if Netflix made, took advantage of that spoke, even whilst the other spokes are still in development, you know, their consumer products team is still relatively small. It's not established yet. Actually, it does. My hunch is that CB, CBeast would have done better with a theatrical release and perhaps sustained longer on Netflix, or we'll see, you know, it could have sustained longer on Netflix because there would have it would have had that more event kind of kickoff to mm -hmm, it that mm -hmm. sustain it for longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, my kind of, I, I have a similar sort of hunch on that, really. And I think Netflix has, I mean, we love Netflix and Netflix content's um, amazing, a lot of it, but I do think it has a discoverability challenge. Mm. Uh, and that ultimately is kind of marketing challenge. And I yeah. think that it, having their content be accessible outside of the walled garden of Netflix, whether it's in a cinema or, um, I think that, that, work, that could work for them. I know that they kind of do that with YouTube. I guess the, the beauty of the cinema is that people are actually paying to see that content. <laughs> yeah. And I really like what Joe said there about the, the, the like, kind of disposability kind of yeah. odor of the, the content, you know, and like that's, I think that's an issue too. And, and the, the thing is they're not actually doing that with their adults, their, their, their adult focused content. Like they want to do spin-offs of Stranger Things. They want to do spin-offs of The Grey Man, even though I don't really like that at all. Um, you know, they don't seem to be thinking about their kids' content this way. Obviously, they've got DreamWorks who are kind of doing it for them. But, you know, in terms of owning their own pipeline in this, you know, the Sea Beast was, like, the Sea Beast is relatively new. But Over the Moon, for example, was now two or two, like, yeah, but to two years ago. And mm -hmm. nothing has ever come from that, nor was that film necessarily structured to have that longevity, that franchise longevity, that kind of need to, to feed other kind of worlds or other ideas or other other stories within that world. So that's probably a challenging part of the strategy too, I would say. Mm. And I think, you know, I was just going back to musicals actually and Encanto, um, you know, there's, there's another, this is a slight tangent, but you know, with musicals, and, and this is what Disney do so well with something like Encanto in, in the, and cinema and Moana, you know, they know that kids are going to want to learn the songs. Well, that means watching it a lot of times. Yeah. So you go into the cinema, you experience it in a much more immersive environment with a better sound system that you've got at home. You hear those songs and then, you know, kids go home and go, we're going to watch Encanto again, you know, mm. as soon as it's out on Disney, we're going to watch it again because we need to learn the songs. <laughs> so maybe... You know, more more musicals from Netflix and put them in cinemas. I know. The, do you know the one I like? I have a real soft spot for is Vivo, which I is one of the Sony films. Yeah, so that's Lin Manuel Miranda soundtrack yeah. too. He was obviously having a well. He is one of the busiest <laughs> people in 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 Hollywood, right? But um, 
you know, that I think that was supposed to come out the year before, and it, and it ended up coming out yeah. like a couple of months yeah. before. Encanto. But like, Viva, I think Viva's really underrated. I love the music in it. I think it's it's really like it, it's really touching and it's really like it's really unifying for a family because it's you know grandparents and stuff like it's got that that kind of touch to it too. So yeah, but it, yeah, if, it, if Viva had had a cinema release, oh, it, I, t- I totally yeah. agree. I mean, and also kind of. A cinema release gives you an opportunity to kind of shout about all of the aspects of that movie mm. uh, in a way that it's harder to kind of have that big, you know, to broadcast that to everyone when it's on, when it's just on Netflix. Yeah. And Vivo is a good example of like Gabby and Vivo series. It's obvious, like, you know what I mean? Like you've, there's yeah. this whole journey and, and it's beautiful and the music's amazing. And then you're left with this twosome at the end who are like, really appealing for kids, um, you know, where, where's well obviously it's a Sony movie anyway so they'd have to agree but that that that's, has that's it does, has a durability right yeah absolutely I mean plain devil's advocate then so we've kind of made the case for theatrical and I think quite strongly I guess the example that undermines that case a bit might be Buzz Lightyear um, and I because because as you said before Pixar had a string of movies that went straight to Disney Plus. Uh, turning red, and um, I think Luca um, yeah, was also yeah. straight to um, so, straight to Disney Plus, and so yeah. Buzz Lightyear was, you know, it was um, Pixar's opportunity to kind of to go out there and kind of knock it out of the knock it out of the park, and they didn't really. Um, what do you have any kind of thoughts on why that was? I just don't think the film connected. I, there was, you know, I think. It's funny in in this in this business you go you either blame the content or you de- blame the distribution strategy. Very often the distribution strategy <laughs> is blamed, <laughs> um, and I think that in this instance it was a content issue, you know. But I also, I mean, if you wanted, like, if you wanted, if you like held my my feet to the fire and you said, do I think it's gonna do better on streaming than Luca and um, Turning Red and Soul? I, I think it might, you know, like, I think, I think it'll come out. I, you know, I'm, I'm ever wrong and I can't wait to find that out, but it's like, I think it will end up doing num- the numbers that we've seen for those other Pixar films. And I actually think it'll probably end up doing more. It might end up doing more because people will have heard it was a turkey at the cinema and are happy to go and watch it on Disney Plus to see if it is. But, yeah. um, you know, and it's, sorry, it's not, it's not a turkey. It's still, it's still a gorgeous Pixar film. It's just not their most compelling or engaging from, from their audience's point of view. Yeah, I think you might have a point. It feels like there's the potential for it to do better on streaming for all of those factors, the curiosity factor, just the halo effect of it being in the Toy Story universe. You know, people will navigate to it over something that they haven't perhaps heard of just because it's Buzz Lightyear, um, even if it didn't release to critical acclaim at the cinema. Do you you think maybe the, the Pixar did themselves a, a, a kind of... Oh, well, I suppose what I'm trying to say is in terms of Pixar movies going straight to streaming, do you think that almost set a tone for Pixar and people assumed now that Pixar would always follow that because they're part of Disney? I, I, For me, I'm not sure. You know, I think I think the Pixar studio's in an interesting place right now. It's been a while since they produced something that was a real commercial like a real commercial slam dunk hit you know the franchises like when i think of pixar i think of nemo i think of toy story i think of cars inside it was gorgeous like don't get me wrong um turning red so all beautiful but i think you know 
if yeah, it, it feels like they're going for the Oscar, not necessarily the audience. Now that Walt Disney Animation Studios is fixed, you know, and it's churning out like Frozen and Kanto, um, uh, they, they feel like they're having a, like a, a very strong commercial heyday right now. Um, whereas Pixar feels like they're going for the Oscar. They're going for the Oscar every year, but I'm like I'm always. I, Oscars are like Oscars are great. Like I have so many, but like it needs to connect with people at scale. That that for me yeah. is the biggest satisfaction in in content creation. Yeah, I mean, I have a kind of some. I totally agree with that. I I suppose going back to Buzz Lightyear specifically, I I think that was a hard movie to market, and I think it confused the audience because I think it was very meta. It was this is the movie based on the toy that Andy had. Yeah. Um, and it, and that that already kind of was confusing. Um, I think, and I know but that like, was the reason. Meta is literally Pixar's new, that's their new. Yeah, I mean, there are, a lot of their stuff is, is maybe a little bit too meta, but yeah, it, it felt very clever. And I don't think the audience understood, you know, they'd love this character in the Toy Story series and suddenly, it wasn't the character that they fell in love with. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. kind of a fictional yeah. alter ego of that character. Yeah, and, and maybe there is something to be said then about this, This, um, you know, things that work well in cinema is content that consumers want and have been asking for, mm-hmm. that they didn't necessarily want or had been clamouring for the meta Buzz Lightyear movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so perhaps it was just that perfect storm of, of Pixar doing their high concept stuff of they, as they've done in recent years, but actually falling under the misconception that because it was part of the Toy Story universe, it was going to be a slam dunk at the cinema. And actually it wasn't. It wasn't a movie that cons- consumers and moviegoers actually wanted. Yeah, yeah, but maybe they were in a rock between a rock and a hard place because, you know, they'd had this, you know, they had these all these originals, these lovely originals like Coco and Inside Out was was great. I wasn't a fan of Onward. Um, Soul was beautiful, but you know, anyway, you don't need my run, my critical rundown of all the Pixar films. But it was like, okay, no, we need like a commercial hit, and it's like, okay, how do we bring what we're doing now, which is basically meta and commercial hit? Okay, well, we can put, you know, yeah, and it didn't work. I, but, I think Luca actually would have been there of their recent movies that would have benefited from a cinema release yeah, right? Right. because that was kind of joyful and yeah, and actually wasn't particularly meta it was just a fun story yeah yeah i agree yeah completely so in terms of where where do you think we will net out with kids animated movies what's what's the future hold in this maelstrom of netflix and cinema and pvod and svod and Mm. you know who's going to come up on the outside and steal some some ground from netflix who would be your your bet in that sense I think, I think, I honestly think we're going to net out to the, the conclusion we all seem to be at anyway that a theatrical, a theatrical window is a good thing. It hel- it helps the longevity of the film. It helps. It, it does not harm streaming. It actually does the opposite. Um, I think the interesting piece of the puzzle on this and at, for Netflix kids and family more at large is how the DreamWorks and Illumination relationship fits in there. Um, obviously, both of those animation studios are owned by NBC Universal, so you know any decisions around one of them is going to impact the other. And you know where NBC Universal sits with Netflix is, you know, a, 
very uh, important strand, I would say, of, of their kids and family offering. Um, now, NBC Universal launched Peacock in the, middle, in the midst of the streaming wars. And anything I've seen would suggest to me that that's not necessarily doing as well. Um, I'm not clear on the plans for international rollout. So, so maybe they're good. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're, you know, they're comfortable where they are with Netflix. But for me, if NBCU ever decided that they weren't, they'd be in a real pickle, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, that's a risk. That's a risk factor. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that, that needs to be considered from their point of view. And, and, and we've seen them try to want to own their own pipeline and they haven't been successful at that, but maybe they just haven't been motivated to really go for it with these films, you know, and, and yeah, it takes money, theatrical releases, takes, you know, to staff up for it, ditto any sort of real consumer product or franchise franchise extension. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I had a crazy idea that like, why wouldn't they just like get send the relationship back and get NBCU to kind of manage that part of their original films and yeah, I don't know there's probably lots of reasons why that wouldn't happen I just had mm -hmm. it was just a random thought I had last night I was like what the, yeah they've got a great they've got a great partner who's super experienced who they're already in bed with I don't know and um, yeah so I think that's kind of the main that could be the main uh rock that Netflix could perish on mm -hmm. um, and then after that I think with Disney we're going to see you know, theatrical releases are going to, you know, it's just going to be a more is more um, reality. But we've all known that that was the case anyway, particularly with kids content. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think, what do you think um, Netflix will kind of learn from? Is there anything to learn from Sea Beast? Is there anything to kind of take mm -hmm. stock of and kind of... You have to want um, to learn first. <laughs> I don't know. They seem very, like, even as, the, as of the latest earnings call, you know... Yeah. Reed Hastings issued, you know, part of the letter was, you know, a, a statement that, you know, theatrical releases was not really part of their thinking. Now, listen, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, given where their share prices at, are under immense pressure. And I think there is a prevailing consensus amongst commentators on the industry that they're going to go. And it's a question of how, of when and mm -hmm. not if. Um, I, I'm not saying that's my view, um, but it is, you know, they are under immense pressure. So I think a change at the top of Netflix could, you know, have, a, have, like, have an immense disruption on, on everything that we're talking about today. But it's not happening today. But it's not, not, not necessarily not happening soon. <laughs> and in terms of the outliers, like the Amazons and the Apples, what's, what are you hearing with regards to them? I mean, you know, Apple's released a couple of nice kids TV um, brands recently. Yeah, what did they, they also released something, sorry. Luck, they, Luck, uh, yeah. Luck was the Luck, big animated yeah. movie that they released. Luck was the first one from Skydance for them. I haven't actually watched that one yet, but I, I had heard good things on it. Skydance are obviously um, like an established studio there, so potentially ripe for an acquisition. Um, although, you know, the last factor of, of Skydance has both pros and cons from an Apple point of view. They're obviously got a squeaky clean image, but Astor would have, I'm sure, you know, legacy relationships there. Um, yeah, no, so like, like, let's wait and see. I mean, Apple, Apple, I think Apple's content is really good. Mm. It's not at scale, but it's good, but it doesn't have to be at scale. Um, and after that, it'll be a question of, you know, if they want, you know, if they, if they feel they want or need <clears throat> to have that, 
you know, pure success, you know, franchise success. They don't necessarily want or need it because it's not their business model. Their business model is selling phones and mm. they're really focused around this Apple one kind of product. The streaming service is marketing. And that's kind of the same with Amazon too. Like Amazon, aren't, their bread and butter isn't the streaming service. That's the difference between them and Netflix and arguably Disney, not that Disney's bread and butter is its content, not necessarily yeah. only the streaming service, but it's content at large. Whereas those two other companies don't, you know, streaming, streaming is marketing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think, it, I think there's, yeah, I think it, like watch this space, definitely the skydance thing is interesting. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, I think, I think there's potential and maybe if they do it, then we'll have more use cases and evidence cases of like, yes, cinema releases definitely work. <laughs> interesting. Are there any examples of kind of real surprise hits, almost kind of the small studios that managed to get an animated movie out there that stuck and people noticed? Yeah. Have you seen Chicken Hair and the Hamster of Darkness? I haven't seen that. <laughs> um, you know, we've seen we've seen this come through a little bit in streaming. Is that like these non-mega movies can do quite well? You know, and like if they're if the budget is right size, um, you know, I think Jungle Bee is another one on Netflix that was. Yeah, it had it had a theatrical. It had like an like a non-large scale theatrical release. It didn't have like a massive marketing campaign or anything. But the, you know, there was there was a theatrical release, and then they've gone to streaming, and they're actually doing pretty well because they're pretty good movies. Like, um, I do recommend you watch Chicken Hair and the Hamster of Darkness. It's really funny, and there's like one scene in it with like these pig pig cubes that's hysterical and actually very franchisable. Um, so yeah, I think they're I think I think getting that right, like I, you know. And did Chicken Hair have a kind of any theatrical presence, or was it just on the street? It did, yeah, it did across Asia for sure. Um, okay. I haven't looked into the overall profile, and it kind of had a long theatrical, like maybe six months where it was here, and then it might have been here and here, and then it was there. It was a bit, a bit messy, obviously, because it's a smaller movie, and they just had to kind of go with what they were given. Um, but you know, I think I think kids, I think Netflix have shown that live action, like good, you know, middle. Middle budget live action movies for kids can do very very well. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking like we we could be heroes. Um, yesterday they haven't had one in a while. They have thirteen the musical coming out I think on Friday tomorrow. Um, so they've shown that like just go to good old fashioned live action movies that don't have to be super high production values. It's just a good story, a bit of a laugh can do very well. And I think if we can crack that for animated movies that you know the budget's not too high but they are funny and they're compelling. There is a there is definitely a space for that in, in streaming. I do I do wonder if those um, those mid budget live action movies that have a slightly older kid audience they yes. benefit from the the virality element of them because kids then go and talk about them make you know duets about on about them yeah. on TV. so actually the the marketing is done for Netflix in a way by their audience and which by their talent the yeah. And it's yeah. funny actually because you, you can look at Sophia Carson right now. So Sophia Carson yes. was in Feel the Beat on Netflix um, about eighteen months ago, and she's now in Purple Hearts, which I haven't seen, but it's, it's an older skew. It's, it is older skewing, but it's still very accessible. I think it's like a, you know, family movie. Like it's you know, it's going to be okay for most of the family, uh, which has been the biggest was, was the biggest movie on Netflix last week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the live action thing obviously has the talent aspect to it as well. Um, but I still think there's there's something to be done on animation there if, if it's right sized. Mm. And we we haven't touched upon minions either. I was wondering whether that's kind of worth exploring in terms of kind of 
what you felt the factors were that kind of were driving the success of... of well, going, going back to that virality point, there was the, the huge, you know, kind of soups trend around Minion cinema. Yeah, game. the TikTok trend. And I also, you know, there's there was loads that was going for Minions. Like, there is loads that's going for Minions anyway. It has appealed to the whole family. You know, I think as like a cinema moment where suddenly everyone was feeling ready to go back and to have a Minions film to go back to. Like, you know, I think that was like very, very compelling part of the success. Apart from the fact that like, Illumination know how to market Minions and Minions is just so marketable. Like all of the brand partnerships they did was just like insane, so exhaustive. Did you send me that TikTok on all the brand partnerships, Joe? I loved that one, that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they, like, you know, they, they know, they know, they know they've got the playbook, you know, and it's just like tick, tick, tick. And like they go into people to pitch. You don't have to pitch minions. It's like, yes, of course we're going to have minions. So that was brilliant. I'm, I'm really excited to see. And I said, we're, we're, in, we're in this moment where it's just all starting to happen. I, I find that very exciting. And minion, the, the, the case of minions, it'll hit, as I understand, it's going to hit, it'll hit Peacock first for four months. And then it'll be paid to on, on Netflix before the end of the year. And I could just imagine that being monstrous. And right in time for Christmas, like content strategy. To <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up on that, I had one thing on the Minions, which was, do you think it shows that we underestimate the kind of older, um, you know, the young adult aspect <clears throat> of these movies? I think, you know, looking at my own kids, they're, they're kind of older now, but there is a kind of nostalgia value for them in watching stuff that they watched when they were a kid. Yeah, I think tapping into that audience is so difficult and it's been out of the grasp of content creators, mainstream content creators for a while in lots of ways. Um, obviously, the Minions TikTok trend was perfect. Why couldn't they have done that for Lightyear though, right? Like it's practically the same thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and Lightyear is arguably kind of a bit more of a grown-up movie, like so. Um, but tapping into that is is difficult, and it's I think it's really exciting to see like mainstream content makers manage to get that right because most often they don't even try because it it's like oh well the, all the teens are off you know on social you know watching whatever like you know it's, they don't really try and they're left out in the cold a bit honestly because it's such a lovely it's such a lovely it's yeah. such a lovely story that you know that that teens went back to watch the movie, they go, you know, like, that's lovely. There's, there's, there's real heart in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good point you made about um, Lightyear. Whether or not it, they could have tapped into that fondness for Toy Story with Lightyear, it being such a very different movie. Yeah. But uh, it, there is, like you say, there is a, um, a tendency for mainstream content makers to, to um, ha you know, not necessarily not acknowledge the heritage of, <clears throat> of their but uh, but forget that actually teenagers have a fondness for what they watched as kids too to your Absolutely. point Andy you know they they don't become hardened teenagers who never want to acknowledge that they loved watching Minions when they were five actually they're quite happy to say yeah I love this movie I grew up with it we've all you know owned a piece of Minions merch at some point in right. our lives or you know parroted the Minionese kind of you know language <laughs> totally. actually if you can tap into that that can be quite powerful yeah, yeah. I mean what my one of my youngest daughters was explaining her love of Disney movies. And she said, you know, I kind of watched Disney movies when I was a, a kid. And then when I was about 10 or 11, I thought I was too old for that. Uh, and then I got over myself and I'm just like, yeah, I love Disney movies. 
Yeah, whereas like mainstream content makers are like, ah, teens, they don't say fuck. Yeah. Oh, about sex. How do we fit in? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, that feels like a, a nice, fun uh, point on which to end. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, great chat. Really awesome. Good. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate it as always. So thank you for listening in or watching. Yes, and please like and subscribe to the series if you enjoyed the show. And we look forward to you joining us again soon.